Welcome to the third episode of the Go Get Outside podcast. I am your host, Jason Milligan. Right now, I am shoved into my girlfriend's closet. I'm hoping to improve some audio sound. Last episode, I recorded the intro and outro in my office, which has a lot of sharp edges, and I was worried it might sound a little reverby, and it did. So now I am surrounded by dresses and t-shirts and boots and shoes and weird costumes and things like that. Hopefully it improves the sound. This is what I do for this show. I mean, who am I kidding? I hang out in my girlfriend's closet all the time. So enough about my personal life. Today's show features Severia Tilden. She is a really cool person I met recently in Los Angeles. She is super active in the outdoor community. She volunteers, consults, works with a bunch of different groups, everyone from the Sierra Club to the REI Outdoor School to Transforming Youth Outdoors and some other people as well. So she and I got together back in June in Altadena on a trail near an area called Echo Mountain. In the drizzly rain, sat under a tree and recorded this interview. So let's not waste any time. Let's get right to that interview. Severia Tilden and I am passionate about connecting people to the outdoors. I sort of found myself and who I wanted to be in the Sierra, I think is the best way to describe it. Um, I was taking the wilderness travel course through the Sierra Club and I had been active, you know, my life, done triathlons, completed three Ironmans, like definitely was active and outdoorsy but not in a backcountry sense, I would say. So, so you were lazy, just three Ironmans. I was Iron super Mans. lazy. <laughs> Super lazy, not motivated, um, hated training, um, all those kinds of things. Um, yeah, but I was definitely active and outdoorsy, but hadn't really experienced the outdoors. And I was working for a marketing company that worked with state parks across the nation. And we worked with brands like the North Face, creating programs such as Explorer Parks, which was getting families out camping for the first time in state parks. And so I really started connecting with the outdoors through them and through the state parks and realized that I really hadn't spent that much time sort of in the backcountry and camping and all that kind of stuff. So I took the wilderness travel course with the Sierra Club because I wanted to learn more about it, and it literally changed my life. Uh, the, we did started doing rock scrambling, and uh, which led to rock, uh, rock climbing now for the last few years. Um, so it led to rock climbing. We did backpacking, snow camping. I was terrified of snow camping. I thought I was going to die for sure. Uh, it ended up being one of my favorite. And apparently you did not. I did not. Uh, and it was one of my favorite experiences of the course. Um, and I have since gone on to do mountaineering and climbed Mount Rainier and Whitney via the mountaineers route in the winter. So um, definitely had a huge big impact on me. And I realized just sort of the power of nature and the power of being outdoors and how important it was. Um, and so it went from being something that I was kind of doing for work and relating to in a work way to something I became personally passionate about. And then about a year and a half ago, I tr- decided that I wanted to marry those two together and so do it professionally and personally. So when in your life was it that you discovered all this stuff? Was it earlier, later? It was later. I was an old lady. Somewhere, I'll just say somewhere in my 30s, <laughs> late 30s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I was late 30s. 
Um, and I think one of the things that kept me super motivated is the people that I was meeting and my mentors were in their 60s. They had figured they had first discovered this stuff in their 30s. So the the raddest people I meet tend to be people in their 60s who make me feel like I'm 100 years old. Right. It's <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so true. We went on a trip uh, recently and there was a gentleman who was well into his 70s and he was you know kicking my kicking my you know what on the trail (laughs) you know and he just and so I saw people like that and I realized that the outdoors is something that everyone can appreciate and that there is no sort of starting clock or too late clock you know you've missed your chance that the chance is now and if you take it and so and I think pushing yourself in a way you can have the ability to push yourself however hard you want. It's interesting too because for instance with a lot of endurance type activities a lot of people do get into those later in life and I've noticed for myself personally my endurance kind of improved to a certain degree as I got older than say when I was 20 and I could sprint really fast but if I went long distance I would get worn out so I agree with you it doesn't really matter how old you are there's some aspect of it that that you can still participate in and you can probably still participate in things that you don't even realize you can. Like I, I was just climbing the other day with a guy who's 50, and he has no problems doing it. Done things with other people who are easily in their 60s, like I said, and they're outpacing me. No, totally agree. Um, I like to think that maybe when we're a little older, we're smarter. Or at least about wiser, it. Right, hopefully, or wiser, right? Not smarter, right. but maybe wiser. Like we appreciate sort of the planning part of it and the taking our time and going long and what that means versus just getting there fast and immediate gratification. Like we kind of appreciate the journey. And we've hopefully maybe moved past from the self-conscious phase so that we can focus on the activity instead of how the activity represents us to yeah. the public. Agreed. I love to say like when I take beginner groups out, there's always sort of people at the back and they're very self-conscious because they feel like they're slower. And I said, hike your own hike. That's the beauty of it. There's going to be people who, there's always going to be somebody faster than you, but just hike your own hike and you're going to have a great time and enjoy it. And we're all going to end up at the same place. You work with a lot of different organizations, right? It sounds like about 85 organizations you work with. Is that, is that, is that <laughs> not what it quite, is? Not quite that many. Close. Very close. 84. 84. Sorry. Yes. Um, so I work, um, one of my passions is working with nonprofits. And there's two nonprofits that I'm working with right now. One is the American Hiking Society. Um, their National Trails Day is on June 6th. It's coming up here on the Saturday, which is very exciting. Um, and they, Which unfortunately will be after this goes will. live, but there'll probably be another one next year, right? Yep, and depending on when this goes live, I don't know, June is Great Outdoors Month. so And there's always trail, There's you know always a trail. Every day is a trail day in my book, but once a year on the first Saturday of June is National Trails Day every year. So next year you can go to an event. Um, but American Hiking Society is great. They are... I kind of consider them the champion of trails. Um, they do a lot of legislation on Capitol Hill, really protecting trails. They do a lot of work with the long distance trails, PCT, AT, Continental Divide, all those guys. And they do a lot of local work. Um, and one of the programs that I really, really love that they do, it's called Volunteer Vacations. And they have working vacations. So people go out, may not be everybody's idea of fun, but people go out for seven to eight days. They go to someplace beautiful and they do trail and they construct trails. They build new trails. They help do maintenance on trails. And it's usually on a public land. So state park, national park, some sort of federal land. And it's it's kind of a steal, actually. And it's kind of a cool thing because it's like $260 for seven or eight days. That includes your lodging and your food. Mm-hmm. And they have trips that are anywhere from super easy sort of front country, state park, stay in cabins, do day hikes, you know, easier trail work to 
backcountry in the Sierra, you know, camping in, backpacking, bringing all your stuff and super strenuous. And they have a presence in all states, right? Yes. Anyone should be able to find their local chapter or something, right? Maybe if they just looked online or how would they find that? Yep. You could go to AmericanHiking.org and you could go to the volunteer vacations. I think there's a, yeah, there's a tab for it. And they have about 60 trips a year all across the U.S. So there's things that are totally close to you. Um, They also do one in the U.S. Virgin Islands. It gets a little fancy down there. Oh, so they even get off the mainland. They do get off the mainland. And the work that they've done is awesome. They have, since 2010, they've put out uh, 300 crews out into the working trail force with over 2,400 volunteers, and they've helped preserve or construct 1,800 miles of trails. Pretty impressive numbers. So I love that program because it's sort of a way to give back and get out. Yeah, and it's also probably a great way to meet other people who are involved in the same activities who can introduce you to different aspects of it or trails you're not familiar with. Absolutely. I think probably going out and helping maintain a trail, it probably doesn't sound that interesting to people until maybe they give it a try and then they they get that sense of satisfaction. Yep. And there's, I think there's that great thing of over eight days, you really see the difference that you can make and that a group of people working together on a single project, there's a very, there's a huge team camaraderie that happens when you're out there. So one thing I've noticed with uh, outdoor activities just in general I feel like friendships form much more quickly because you're depending on each other and and you start to, everyone kind of helps each other out with things. And when you see somebody's having trouble with something, everyone kind of pitches in and helps out. And the people who don't get weeded out right away. Most of my really close friends now are people who I've met doing things outdoors. I totally agree. I think it's a very community oriented, like hiking and climbing all, I think outdoor sports tend to be very community oriented. Um, And there's a great camaraderie that happens with that for sure. It kind, of, it kind of teaches you, too, how to handle stress in a different way because you have no control over nature. So you either can just accept what's happening and deal with it, or you can get upset and make it worse. Yep. <laughs> so it very quickly teaches you, just don't get mad, just deal with it. Yep, find a solution, work through it. Other than the American Hiking, American Hiking Society. Society, correct? Yep. So AHS, right? Yes. So other than them... What are some of the other organizations you work with? So the other organization that I work with right now that I'm super excited about also is Transforming Youth Outdoors. And it is a brand new venture that is scaling the impact of helping people get kids outdoors. So youth outdoors. And it's a new online platform that curates, maintains, and collects best in sort of practice resources for people who are trying to get youth outdoors. So individuals or organizations can go to this website. It's free. There's content libraries of everything from how to start a hiking program and it gives you all the tools you need to do that or maybe you have a hiking program and you're worried about risk management so you want to learn more about risk management or you started a nonprofit and you haven't even thought about fundraising but you want to do fundraising so um, it might give you a learning path on how to learn how to fundraise and take you through the step the founder of it started an organization in San Diego called Outdoor Outreach and he has one of the best most impactful programs getting youth outdoors underserved and at-risk youth outdoors in San Diego and his partners in the program just kept saying like we need to be able to replicate this or how can we support other people who are trying to do the same thing and that's how this came about. So. And is that also a national group or is it strictly it's, on the west coast? No right it's national we actually have people from all over the world uh, who are interested in participating. Oh um, so it's even potentially international. Yes potentially international and the website for that one is mytyo.org and you sign up for it, and again, it's a free resource library. So um, we're really excited. It only launched a couple months ago, so it's new. So it's sort of just, you know, sort of the beta version, but we're super excited with it. We've had a really great response. 
Um, there's a lot of organizations that are interested in using it. Also as a teaching and training tool for people within their organization. So if you have a group that gets kids outdoors or youth outdoors, you can maybe train your volunteer staff through this program. There's great resources to help do that. So. Have you had any sort of events yet where you've gotten to see the impact of it? We have, um, we have not. We have, well actually, we haven't had any events yet, but we have a couple case studies of a couple people who've already written in, who are work, currently working with kids and programs, and they have written and said, this you know, platform has been super helpful, I had all these questions, it's been answering the questions, it's really helped me improve my program, um, and so it's impacting their program. So we're not directly necessarily having impact on kids, but we're helping others do that. Um, and I guess so. I guess we're indirectly helping the kids. Um, our first newsletter will be coming out in July, and we'll have some of those case studies in there. On these many hats that I'm wearing right now, um, I also work for REI Outdoor School, so teaching. And that's just probably one of the things I just get giddy about, honestly. It's just I love it. Um, I've always loved teaching. I have a master's in education. Um, and again, it's one of those awesome moments in life where you can take your passion and something that you've been trained in and put them together. So being able to take my education background and my outdoor passion and put those two together has been amazing. Love teaching. So what sort of things do you teach through the outdoor school? I teach all sorts of stuff. I teach uh, map and compass navigation. So I teach algebra. Yeah, algebra, <laughs> spelling, how to spell map, M-A-P. No, um, we, I do a lot of backcountry skill stuff. So um, backcountry cooking. We do training hikes on Mount Baldy for people who are getting ready to do Mount Whitney or big, bigger objectives, map and compass. We teach wilderness survival skills as well. I don't teach that one very often. Um, I like to be prepared. I like to think I wouldn't need to be in a wilderness survival situation with my 10 essentials. But... Uh, so I teach those. I also teach how to ride a bike. One of the most, like, ex- is that something that a lot of people don't know how to do? You would be amazed, adults and kids, tons of people. And it's it's funny because it's one of the classes that is the most gratifying when you teach somebody how to ride a bike because it's such an awesome thing to see it happen. And it's the one that's the most stressful because you're like, I want everyone to succeed. Everyone needs to know how to ride a bike. One thing that um, amazed me when I moved to the West Coast was how many people here do not know how to swim. So you you should maybe teach a swimming class. We also. should teach swimming. We don't teach swimming. That is not in our repertoire. Um, yeah. So I teach stand up paddle boarding. Again, we do water stuff, just not swimming. Life jackets, well, when kayaking. You, when you fall off the board, you, you have a life can jacket. swim if you would like. <laughs> exactly. You could swim. Uh, but yeah, no. I just I love. I think I love especially the intro classes where people are learning to do something for the first time because just sort of seeing the joy and the experience and kind of getting through the challenge of it being new. Um, remind you of what it was like when you first experienced it and why you like it so much now absolutely so just being able to share that moment with them is really really satisfying Um, the biggest thing that we have to usually remind people is you know 30 minutes into it they're super frustrated and you have to remind people let's with any of these outdoor stuff like when was the last time you learned to do something in 30 minutes I think one of the things I love the most about being outdoors is that there's always another challenge that you can constantly be pushing yourself to a new challenge and that challenge is as hard as you make it, but there's always a new goal. It also kind of feels like whatever activities you get involved in, usually you just scratch the surface and then you realize how many offshoots of that. Like, for instance, I climb pretty frequently. And just within climbing, there's so many separate disciplines. You can easily spend a lifetime working on just a few of those climbing disciplines. So you're not going to run out of things to yeah. do Agreed. anytime soon. What is your favorite part of climbing? That's a, that's a, I don't know. I I have a really hard time figuring out how to explain to people why I like it. For me, ever since I was a child, when I would see high points, I just had this drive to get on top of those points. 
And so I grew up in Louisiana, which is flat as can be. So the only things you could climb were trees or houses. And I spent a fair amount of time doing that, climbing onto the roof of the house or climbing trees or jumping off of apartment complex nice. balconies. That's how I fractured my arm in like third grade or something. But uh, I've just always had this, this draw to high places. I don't know if that's particularly it. I also just like moving over the rock. I, I just like starting at a low point and then ending at a high point. I like being scared on lead. I, I was just at Taquitz, which for those who are listening that don't know, is a thousand foot granite rock over in the forest in Idlewild in uh, like the eastern part of Southern California. I was on a route towards the top where the exposure, which is basically just your visibility of the ground far below you, was getting pretty drastic. Some like people you, would call that terrifying. Right, and you, you, you start to shake a little bit. We have something. Oh, a deer. We have a deer. Yes, yeah, so we're hanging out in a, we have under deers. a tree, and we have a family of deer passing by now. That is awesome. Yeah. Apparently, we're not scary. Apparently not. That's Sorry. that's good. So you're to Keith's exposure. Right, and just you you start to shake a little bit, but you've, you've got it. You, you can protect yourself, and you, you know you're good, and then it feels so good when you when you're on top. And you're past that part, and you just feel like you've accomplished something, and it just and it, there's an excitement. I I don't know. It's, it's I feel like if you have to, if someone has to explain to you why you're gonna like it. You're probably not into it. But if you just see something and you want to be on top of it, then you've probably got that inside of you. I have the opposite reaction, which is where I'm actually terrified of heights, and so <laughs> I don't actually want to be on top of things. But there's something about the challenge of getting there and pushing myself to face those fears. Mm-hmm. That's therapeutic I guess I don't know it's something but I like to think of climbing as I think it's taught me that you can have projects and I think it's important that you have projects because as, as you know well like sometimes there's a climb where you just may not get it the first time and it becomes a project and a very wise climber Lynn Hill as, she, as a lecture she was giving and she said you know there's really no such thing as failure it's just you have projects if you don't get it the first time you come back and it's, it becomes a project it becomes something to work at and something to figure out and get to the challenge and i sort of love taking that analogy with all the outdoor stuff yeah if you look at it as failure then it's kind of short-sighted i find that part of it is kind of like a self-growth you you bring yourself out in these situations so you can test yourself and then kind of just see who you are so if you look at it as a failure you maybe aren't going to make any strides and you look at it as a learning experience yeah, I think that's a much more valuable <laughs> much, way to see much more it. Valuable if, you, if you walk into it thinking you have to succeed or fail, you're, you're going to be a gonna, short career. It's either going to be a short <laughs> career or you're going to change your attitude really quickly, <laughs> hopefully. So which REI do you teach classes in? So I work, just work for outdoor school, and so I teach all over greater L.A. So we're, our home store is Manhattan Beach, but we basically are out and about. So we teach everywhere from Orange County all the way up to Malibu. So we have a pretty big big territory that we teach at. So it just depends on what classes we're teaching and where, but we teach at Benelli Regional Park over in San Dimas. We teach at Marina del Rey, Crystal Cove State Park down in Orange County. Uh, we go out of the sea base at Newport Harbor, Malibu Creek State Park. So we teach all over. And how frequently are you teaching classes? Every weekend, except the weekends that I beg to get off so I can head out into the Sierra. Oh, so that's very frequent. It's pretty frequent. So how do you continue to work on your skills if so much of your time is spent teaching other people so I'm very lucky in that with my consulting job I have a little bit of freedom during the week so I try to get stuff done during the week and I actually find that teaching is one of the best ways to sort of work on your skills because if you have to explain it to somebody like map and compass is a great example that the more you teach it the better not that 
you, the better you, I guess the better you become at it, but you become more proficient at it because the ability to explain a concept to somebody in five different ways, because there's different kinds of learners and people sort of absorb information different ways, only helps reiterate the knowledge in yourself and sort of solidify that you know it. Sometimes it reminds you of the things you thought you forgot. Exactly. How to, you're like, oh yeah, I do know how to do this. Yep, and everyone's, and I love like the questions where somebody asks you a question, you're like, I have no idea. And then it's like, you go home, you figure, find out what the answer is, so. And then taking time off, uh, you know, and it's nice because they are pretty flexible, so. For instance, in on the seventeenth, my husband and I are hiking the Tahoe Rim Trail. And so, so how long is that? It's about 165 miles. 165, and mm-hmm. how how long are you going to give yourself? You know, we are giving ourselves between like 11 and 13 days. We're sort of giving ourselves a range because we want to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So we're not and we're not really sure. So we've done trips up to about five days, but we haven't done that long of one. So we just really want to go and sort of enjoy the experience, and we're lucky that we have sort of a window of when we can be back. So we're just going to plan on, you know, I guess if we're doing that 15 miles a day, it'll be about 11 days. But we kind of, like I said, want to enjoy the experience and have the flexibility just to say, you know what, let's stop here for the night. It's beautiful and have that ability. What kind of challenges do you think you'll be facing on that trail? There may still be a little bit of snow. I know it's hard to believe with the, everyone talking about no snow. Well, but it's drizzling yeah. on us right now. <laughs> yeah, so, it's raining. So. so there is actually some water in California. <laughs> exactly. Hopefully there's not more heading up there. Um, but we'll be up above, you know, eight, nine thousand feet. So there's, we might have some snow to encounter. And it's not the snow that's the problem. It's losing the trail. That's actually the issue is that you lose the trail in the snow. So navigation is going to be important. You know, just the fact carrying a lot of food. <laughs> the fact that on a long trip we have to, we'll have a couple resupply points, but you just there's a lot more logistics that sort of go into it. And that should be bear country, right? So you'll have to carry a canister, right? It is. We're actually trying, there's a new product out right now called a Yursack. U-R-S-A-C-K. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've heard and of that. A, Explain that. So it's a bear-proof bag. So if a bear finds it or gets a hold of it, it, it's not crush-proof, so they can smush whatever food you have in it, but they can't get into the bag, so they can't actually eat your food. And you put it, so within the sort of bear-proof bag, you put a smelly-proof, like a zip, it's like a special Ziploc bag that's smell-proof, and it's like seven ounces. It's like so much lighter, and it's obviously more malleable than a bear yeah, canister. Yeah, bear canisters are huge and kind they're of heavy unwieldy, and they take up half your pack. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're super excited to try that. So as of right now, they're approved by like the interagency grizzly bear. There's some like approval process that they're approved for. And the only place they're not I've approved. I've seen videos of how they do that. It's, a, it's, it's hilarious. I mean, the bears are going to town on Look these things. Look up bear canister testing videos and they're pretty amusing. It is awesome. Uh, yeah, it's pretty great. So yeah, so the, the only places are not allowed are Yosemite and Sequoia and Kings Canyon. And we're not going to be in any, either of those places. So we're excited to try them. So they still insist on canisters then? They do. And then, if I remember correctly, Yellowstone will only allow certain types of canisters because they have a bear that figured out how to open the bear vault. They're smart. Bears are smart. And they are... Uh, and hungry. Yeah, smart, hungry, and cunning. They want our food, so... Yeah, yeah. they're very motivated yeah. <laughs> to get your food. <laughs> they are. They don't, they don't want to bother you so much, but they really want your chapstick and your, and your exactly. toothpaste. Exactly. Yeah, and that's actually a really good point. So for people who are going into bear country, remember that it's anything smelly. It's not just food that goes into those canisters. It's your coconut chapstick and your sunscreen and, your, like you said, your toothpaste. Mm-hmm. Your, Don't leave yeah. potato chip crumbs all over your back seat. Don't eat in your tent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> speaking, speaking of that, even when you're not in bear country, 
think about what you have in your tent. Because I've gone camping with friends, and we go out for the day, and we come back, and there's a huge hole in their tent where some squirrel has eaten into the tent because they had, like, a cantaloupe and an apple or something loose in the tent. It's like, you you don't realize they can smell that? Yep. And they're going to get into there? So, yeah, put your food away in something. you got to worry about all the critters. We joke that uh, the little chipmunks that are running around, they're so adorable and cute. We call them mini bears because they literally can do the damage of a bear (laughs) if given the opportunity, even though they're tiny. Because they can, like you said, they can go through your tent, they can get into your food, they can do, like, mass destruction. They just thankfully can't rip the door off your car like a bear can. (laughs) Well, maybe slowly. Slowly. Maybe slowly. Yeah, slowly. If you were very sedated and they were very hungry. (laughs) So you'll be out there for about two weeks. Mm -hmm. What kind of sleeping situation do you like to use when you go on those kinds of trips? So I am a tent person. I know there's lots of people who like the whole bivy backpack, look at the stars. Um, I like something that zips that's protecting me from mosquitoes and bugs. Um, so we have a Sierra Designs lightning, ultra, like flash lightning tent, I think is the name of it. Um, super cool, two person, really lightweight, like under four pounds, um, like great. Um, I just used it on a trip in Utah by myself. That was, carried it, it was super light. And then we have a double person sleeping bag, so that'll keep us nice and cozy. Um, so that our, that's our sleep system. Yeah, I've, I've personally gotten pretty into this sleep on a tarp. Yeah. But when it's not good, it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we're in the Sierra. It's like you just never know. We're sort of summer, so there's potential afternoon thunder showers and mm-hmm. evening rain and stuff like that. So the one cool thing about the tent that we have is it is an integrated system. So the fly is integrated with the tent. So you basically stake down the four corners, you know, click in the hooks onto the poles, and you're done. And so it's all one piece, which is really nice. Oh, so you don't have to stand in the wind trying to keep your rain fly from flying away. Exactly, like grabbing it and trying to tension it down. So it's actually, it's a really great little tent. Um, I was in some pretty serious weather in Utah a few weeks ago, and that was a whole adventure too. The whole, oh, this is what they mean when they say flash floods in the desert. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty crazy to see and experience that. Um, It's pretty awesome the power of nature yeah i was down at phantom ranch uh, in the grand canyon and it just has a small stream that runs through it and uh we got a minimal amount of rain and just that small stream started to flash it wasn't dangerous but you could see this tiny stream go from barely flowing and clear to turbid and brown and four times its depth in a very short period of time and if it could happen right there if you were in a slot somewhere it could be terrifying drastically yeah. worse yeah yeah I do a fair amount of canyoneering, so that's a that's always a big concern as well. (laughs) So you like to like rappel down into things. I like to climb up things and and go down down into things, but I don't like to squeeze through tight spaces because I'm pretty claustrophobic. Yeah, that doesn't sound like fun. (laughs) (laughs) I know I know plenty of people that disagree, but uh, for me for me it doesn't quite work. I I have a draw to want to do it, but uh, I have a psychological condition that doesn't want me to do it. Fair enough. So, do you consider yourself largely a backpacker, or or do you consider yourself more of just a general outdoor person? Like, what else are you going to do other than, than Tahoe? So I'm doing that. I'm leading a, so I lead trips for the Sierra Club backpacking. So I'd say I'm probably a backpacker at heart. And I love backpacking. If you ever take a trip with me, I'm slow and steady. Like, I love the journey. Like, I'm not one of those, You're like, not Andrew Skirka? You no, do I'm not, like, this crazy peak bagger, like, rawr, let's go. I'm much more about the journey, about enjoying it, um, and about sort of going that steady all-day pace. Um, 
so that is sort of my mo but so so that's why i like backpacking i think just because i like that just sort of the journey and just enjoying the beauty and taking pictures and all that kind of stuff so if i had to consider myself two things i would say a backpacker and a climber but the climber part like it's the time you know to be a good climber you need to climb more and so um i think i'm i would say i'm an aspiring climber (laughs) so love climbing um, haven't gotten on the sharp end yet out of the gym. So the sharp end is when you're leading, so you have to go up with the rope. And that's what yeah. that's what really draws me to it. Yeah. Is, and that's is next leading. though. That's yeah. and that's definitely where I'm. I want to get there. I'm heading there. So yeah, multi pitch is is what draws yeah. is what draws me to climbing. Which multi pitch for anyone that doesn't understand is climbing large things, and a pitch is it's basically any distance from. 40 to 200 feet or so that you can climb in one go you build an anchor and then you start the next pitch until you get to the top i, I consider multi-pitch climbing sort of like the backpacking of climbing yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a good way to put it i like that yeah i've done um i followed a, a couple multi-pitch ones and have loved it um i tried ice climbing for the first time this winter um, how'd you like that awesome <laughs> it was so much fun did you try it in your or, uh, or somewhere else no i was up in lee mining okay. so it was not a great snow year but i think we were there before it kind of was out. I've had January. very little experience with that, but I did try it at Ure at the ice festival one nice. year. Nice. How was and that? I, and I wouldn't mind giving it a try again for sure. Yeah, super fun. Um, so ice climbing is where basically you have these like ice axes in your hand, these sharp pointy crampons on your feet, and you're climbing, except instead of looking for a handhold, you just swing the axe and you're like, Wah! and then like and make you, your handhold. you hold. don't look up when you <laughs> yep. do, or you get a, you get a ice, shower ice. of ice in your face. A friend of mine, when we went to the festival, he made the mistake of looking up at one point, and he got bashed in the cheek by, by a piece of ice that fell. And I have this photo of him down at the bottom holding a piece of ice on his cheek. So basically he was using what injured him to heal him. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and there, was just this, there was some great beauty there for me. That's awesome. What are some of the longer hikes that you've done like have you done some of the long distance trails or i haven't so this is the tahoe rim trail is going to be my first sort of foray at that i've thought about doing things like the pct and i thought you know maybe i'll start with something that's two weeks before you kind of commit to something that's five months so then there's always the john muir trail something along those lines exactly so um yeah i just i had a friend who did tahoe rim trail last year and he just loved it and i kind of liked the idea of just walking in a big circle like that sounds really strange but um sort of going for it so um yeah that's the longest that's gonna be the long longest one so far so lots of you know again that time back to that time thing lots of two days three days Mm -hmm. two days three days um sort of heading up in the sierra i think that's one of the things i love the most about living in southern california where we do is that you're just sort of right smack in between the sierra for the summer and winter you know to get up there and then you have joshua tree on the other side of us it's just i feel like we're very lucky and blessed to be here and, and then we have all the Idlewild yeah and there, then we so. have all the mountains right here we're you know just out basically part of the angeles national forest right now which is in our backyards so. yeah if, if you live in los angeles there is more than griffith park look around you it's not scary we have there mountains. amazing forests and mountains and deserts and every almost every climate yeah. within driving distance yep and most any activity you'd want to do outside within driving distance and aside from today the drought that we're having we almost always have beautiful weather. <laughs> this weather's actually great. <laughs> but. By Los Angeles standards, it is storming right now. But by everyone else's standards, it is a very, very light drizzle. It's spitting. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> that was one of the things I had to get used to when I moved here. And people say, oh, it's going to storm tomorrow. And that meant if you stand outside for five minutes, you may get a little bit wet. Yeah. <laughs> 
Exactly. So do you have any goals for the future? Anything that you're working on either personally or for the 84 organizations that you're involved with? Well, the TYO, so Transforming Youth Outdoors, is new. I think the goal is just getting people to know about it, just sort of making sure people know the resources out there. So that's really going to be a big push for this year, just awareness of it. Um, there's another project that I was been working on called Nature Passport, which is an app for kids to get kids outdoors. So it's mission based. So it's like, it, and it's things as simple as like go climb a tree, like go so find a tree. So is it one of those things where it kind of gamifies? The it experience? does a little bit. Um, it's a, right now we launched a beta version and we're working on um, version 2.0 sort of of it. So it's it's a very simple version right now. Um, but yeah, the con- the concept is sort of you know you do missions, you get badges, but all of the activities sort of take place outdoors. And so it's a way. It's actually a tool for parents and caregivers to use with their kids. It's like being a virtual Boy Scout. Exactly. In a sense, yeah. kind of. And it's just, it's just ideas. It's just sometimes people don't know where to start. Right. People don't even know, like, what to do or, you know, how to make it fun for the kids or engaging. So That was my issue yeah. growing up is I was aware of certain things, but I didn't know people who did those things. Yep. And I assumed that only athletes did those things and that the rest of us couldn't. Yeah. It wasn't until I got into my 20s and decided, no, I'm going to figure out how to do these things, yeah. my late 20s, that I started and now it's easy. You just look online. Yeah. You can find whatever you want. Probably find someone not terribly far away that can help you learn how to do it. I think that's a great point, too, about, like, kids. Because I think there's kids who want to do outdoor stuff. Like, my parents are totally, if they hear this, they're going to be like, I can't believe you're telling this story. <laughs> so we moved from California up to Washington State. And my brother and I were like, yeah, we're like this is, like, rural. And it's the woods. And we want to go camping. And my mom was so supportive. And she took us to the sporting goods store. She got us a tent and sleeping bags and put us in the backyard. <laughs> and she was like, I don't camp. She was totally supportive of us camping. I'm doing air quotes, which you can't see. Um, in the backyard. They sound like this. <laughs> um, but we were in the backyard. And you know, it's funny because I think that if there was a family member or an uncle or you know somebody in my life who had been more outdoorsy that maybe could have exposed me to that, I don't want to say that the first 30 years were wasted, um, but I, you know, you were I mean, priming if, yourself. I was, I was getting ready. I was getting primed to do it. Um, but I may, have, I may have found it earlier um, and had that experience. So I don't know. I'd say maybe advice to people would be like if you know somebody or if you're outdoorsy and you know a kid who wants to be outdoorsy, take them under your wing. Be a mentor toward them. Teach them. Where, where I grew up, I, we did a fair amount of camping and we were surrounded by woods. So we'd spend time in the woods. But for the most part, outdoor sports are hunting and fishing. And, and I wasn't particularly interested in those. And I would see things like climbing and surfing and just didn't seem like things that were optional. But now, even if you live somewhere flat and you do want to get into climbing, there are climbing gyms yeah. everywhere. It's, climbing gym is not the same as climbing on a real rock, but if that is your option, it's a start. take it. And it's a start. And you start at least building a skill set or building a muscle set or building awareness and getting over the fear and learning the, how to put on a harness and tie your mm-hmm. knots and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's a great start, absolutely. And, and all, the acti- all the outdoor stuff is kind of linked. So once you start with one... It's easy gateway drug to the other ones, and the skills you get from one can help move you to another. They're, they're so linked in so many different ways. Yeah, this podcast should come with a warning. We're encouraging you all to get outdoors, <laughs> but be warned, it is a gateway drug. If you go on a hike, we may never see you again because you're going to want to go hiking all the time. So let's get back to that app really quickly. Oh, yeah. Is that a free app? Yep, it's a free app. It's, um, it's actually available in the App Store. Um, like I said, it's a beta version, so it's super simple. We're working on like the nicer, better 
um, version as we speak. Um, but it is, yeah, it's called Nature Passport. Is it strictly iOS or is it also on it Android? It is just, no, it is just iOS right now. And it's meant for kids sort of between 7 and 12, but it's really meant as a tool for parents to work to use with their kids. So there's a number of missions in there right now. The categories are Play, Learn, and Explore. So those are sort of the three categories that are in there. Uh, it's created by two organizations. One is called Islandwood, which is one of the premier outdoor education schools in the country, and it's in Bainbridge Island, Washington. They do an amazing uh, out whole outdoor ed program. They have a 250-acre campus. They bring kids in during the week from schools to experience the outdoors. And then the other partner organization is called Nature Play Australia in Western Australia. And they their whole thing is getting kids outdoors as well. And if people want to take classes with REI Outdoor School, all they need to do is go to the website, yep. find their lo local REI, if they have one. I know where I grew up, there was no REI. Yeah, with they, the, Where are they mostly located now? West Coast and where else? No, they're everywhere now. Are there's, they also yeah, in the South at this point? Yep, they are okay. all over. They're all across the nation. And all stores have some sort of outdoor ed program, whether it's in-store classes or outdoor education classes. So, um, yeah, REI.com slash learn. And you can put in your zip code and see what's near you. And I personally have taken several uh, climbing courses from REI as well as Wilderness First Aid. Nice. So I can vouch for them nice. as a worthwhile organization to, uh, to get instruction from. We could probably start to wrap up now. So what about you? Is there anything, is there a website you would want to send people to? Is there anything you want to talk about for yourself? Sure. Um, so I, I do have a website. It's called The Adventurous. And it's U.S. at the end, like we are all us, the us and adventure us. Um, so it's theadventureus.com. And um, I have a blog, which I wish I updated more regularly, but work and everything, life gets in the way. So there's a little blog there, but it talks about, um, I teach CPR and some other things. So talks about that stuff. Um, talks a little bit about my consulting business, but mostly it's just sort of supposed to be an inspiration, you know, for people to get outdoors and sort of the adventure us sort of came about and like the us part of it because my husband and I were talking about it and we're your next door neighbors we're like the normal couple next door there's nothing superhero-ish about us we're not sponsored professional athletes but we just have a passion and a love for doing this stuff and I I'd like to think that I'm the poster child like if I can do it anyone can do it <laughs> um I used to say that all the time with Iron Man's no if I can do an Iron Man you can definitely do an Iron Man it just takes desire and passion and so uh the adventurous was sort of built from that just sort of sharing stories and sharing things we love and stuff like that so, actually actually I'm not going to let you wrap up because you just reminded me of something that we should talk about tell me you've done three Iron Man's <laughs> So explain what the Iron Man is, and then ex and then tell us a little bit about that because that is a hell of an experience to have, I'm sure. It is. So um, an Iron Man is a two point four mile swim, hundred and twelve mile bike ride, and a marathon, twenty six point two miles at the end, and you do it all in one day. So it adds up to one hundred and forty point six miles, and you basically have seventeen hours to complete the day. You start with the swim, you head to the bike, and then you wrap up with the run, or in some of our cases, sort of a jog-walk experience. Um, and it's, it's pretty cool. And the reason I kind of say if I could do it, anyone can do it, is honestly the hardest part is training. And it's in Kona, Hawaii, right? No, that's a championship. That's oh, like, that's the championship. Yeah, Kona's like where people who are really fast and like qualify, they get to Kona. It's good. And there are Ironmans all over the country, actually all over the world, oh, that, okay. anybody, so, that okay. any, any mere mortal can do. Um, Where were yours? My first one was in Canada, 
Uh, my second in a place called Penticton. My second one was Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And my third one was in uh, Florida. So what made you decide, oh, I'm going to do an Ironman? So because you could have started with like a 5K or well, something like that. I started, like that. With, the sprint, I started big... with the sprint triathlon, and I did it through team and training for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Uh, and I was fundraising for a dear friend of mine who was a cancer survivor. And so I did a sprint triathlon, and the sprint triathlon led to an Olympic distance triathlon. So these are all getting a little bit longer. And I was like, I would never do an Ironman. Those people are crazy. Those are like only crazy people do Ironmans. And then a couple friends of mine who had been training with did their first Ironman. I thought, well, maybe that could be a fun challenge. And it's been, it, they were awesome. And like I said, the hardest thing is the training. Um, we were averaging 11 workouts per week. So if you do the math, that's seven days and 11 workouts and you have a day off. So there's a lot of time commitment to it. Um, but if you can commit to the time and you have a good training program, it's it can be a great day. How long did you train for it before? Uh, both the first one, I think we trained for about 10 months. So we had sort of done some triathlons. So it was almost maybe even close to like somewhere. We were already doing triathlons, but seriously for Ironman, probably around nine or 10 months. And then on average, I'd say it's sort of six to eight months for us, at least, that was focused, dedicated, like training schedule, like you had a schedule every day. Um, we always did it with a coach who provided some sort of training schedule for us. They didn't actually coach the activities, but they gave us a plan, um, and that's super helpful. And so you just sort of get in this mode of, if I follow the plan, I'll be able to do it. And clearly you enjoyed it enough, or to, you got enough from it to want to do it to twice do, more. Yeah, to do it twice more. And then I found the great outdoors. And honestly, <laughs> I was like, well, I could be riding my bike around Los Angeles getting hit by cars, which happened, or I could be walking in the woods Did enjoying it. Did you get hit it. by a car? I have been hit by a car. Um, and so... That, was that exciting? It was exciting. It was awesome. Do you awesome. recommend it? I don't recommend <laughs> it. I do not recommend getting broadsided. Was it a walk away or was it a put you in the hospital? It was funny. That was actually a walk away, um, which was pretty interesting. And then about six months later, all by myself, I crashed my bike, which was a hospital one. So mm. it was awesome. Um... And after both those accidents, I came back and did my third Ironman. So, and I've been doing all the rock climbing, you know, backpacking. So I think it's a good sort of example of you just need to get back on the horse. Or back on the bike. Back on the bike case. in that case. If, or maybe a different bike. Yeah. Maybe you <laughs> or maybe just hit the one. trail. <laughs> <laughs> if you could say anything to someone who hears this and they're not sure, like, oh, I don't know, maybe I should, what would you say? I would say take a short hike, take a walk. Don't, don't be intimidated by it. I think it's um, a lot of people are just sort of intimidated by the outdoors because they don't know. So I would say take your first step, go on a hike, do something easy, do something within your ability. And if you are nervous, find a class, learn, educate yourself. Because I think education is and having the knowledge takes away a lot of the fear. And your inherent laziness in your brain when you wake up in the morning, it's going to be like, oh, I don't really feel like, and it's going to start looking for excuses. Just ignore them and go. Just do it. Go and you're going to be so happy afterwards. You're going to you're gonna regret it if you don't go. And actually, training partners are great on that note. Like, great motivators. Find somebody to go for a hike with and make a plan. Like, okay, we're meeting tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Because then you have accountability. Find your least lazy friend yes. and start <laughs> hanging out with that person. Exactly. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Is there anything else you want to throw in or do no. you want to get out from under this tree? I think that's all. I, you know, I think it's kind of nice under the tree, actually. I think it's just <laughs> Yeah, here. I think it started raining more. <laughs> it has. Um, I just, and the fog's you. rolled in. Yeah, no, thank you. This has been awesome. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming out.
Welcome back to the closet, guys. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Severia Tilden. If you're interested in what she's got going on, go to her website, theadventureus.com. So basically that is adventure without an E and a U-S instead. So adventureus.com. You can read her blog post about her trip reports, her reviews of gear and other things like that. She also mentioned a bunch of other organizations, a bunch of other web pages. Look at the show notes or go to the website, gogetoutside.com and look for the blog post for this episode and you'll find all those links. Everything to her Facebook page, her Instagram, the mytyo.org, americanhiking.org, the REI school, the Islandwood app that she mentioned, link to Iron Man, Sierra Club, all those things. Go there, look at that. I know you, you're probably listening to this on your phone or however you listen to it, and you're like, I don't want to look at show notes. I don't want to read. I want to listen to the beautiful tones of Jason's horrible voice. It's not that hard, guys. Click info, go to the website, whatever. It's not a lot of text. And there are links to some cool places you might want to go. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can always contact us at our email, go at butcherbirdstudios.com. You can send me an email there. Tell me how much you like the show, how much you don't like me. If you want something else on the show, if you wish this show never existed, you can tell me all those things at that email address. You could also leave us a voicemail. If you don't like typing, if you don't like using a keyboard, if you don't like computer machines... You can grab your phone and you can dial 1-818-925-0106. That will bring you to our Google Voice voicemail. You can leave a message, but it better be shorter than three minutes or else you have to call back. You can listen to my long rambling greeting again before you're allowed to finish your thoughts. So, of course, I got to ask for that annoying thing now. Please subscribe to the show. Rate the show. Review the show. I know it's annoying. Every single podcast says this. It really does help out. It helps make the show more popular. It helps more people find the show. And it makes sure that the show can continue. Because if I've only got two listeners, I don't know if I can afford to keep doing it. Thanks, Mom. Oh, and Erica, whose closet I'm inside of right now. She probably is also listening. So next week, we have local legend and outdoor he-man, Scott Swaney. This is a 67-year-old guy who's ripped and does more badass stuff than I will in my entire lifetime. He's one of those guys who's been in the outdoors his entire life, started before anybody was offering training, doing any of these things, learned it on his own, and nearly killed himself a thousand times. So check in next week for that episode. I think you'll enjoy that. So that's the show. That's the entire show. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you come back next week. I hope you come back for weeks after that. And I think it's time for me to get out of this closet. 